when you become a pastor, one of the requirements is that you must have had at least a thousand jobs. Every pastor I've known, whether it's a man or a woman, they've had a thousand different jobs. I don't know if that's so that you can be a Mr. or Miss every man or every woman, okay? I don't know if that's the case, but uh, being a pastor, you've got like a gazillion different jobs. And one of the jobs I had, there was a guy named Derek. Derek was awesome. Derek was awesome because he was a maniac. When he showed up for work, it was, let's knock it out! Boom! And I was so there because it fit my personality. The other thing about Derek, though, is that he was a stand-up comedian. He was always pranking everybody in the office, every employee. I mean, he would turn a corner and he'd have like the Groucho Marx glasses with the big nose and the mustache. And he would do that thing. And we were like, oh, Derek, stop. But he, he was both. He was... And, when I met Derek, he had just gotten married, and he, he had been married to a woman for like 15 years, and it, it was acrimonious, it was bad, and it was a divorce, and, and but you know, he met this woman, and they were, I love you, I love you too, and they got married, and they were having a baby, and they had a baby when I worked with Derek, and he totally wigged out, he totally wigged out about this baby, because he was scared that he was going to mess up the second marriage, just like he did the first, and the birth of this son activated in him this, I'm going to screw up this kid the way my dad did me. This is bad. I mean, I, I'm going to totally mess this up. And he was, he, it scared him. And he started drinking. And then he started drinking more. And then he started drinking more. And one day at work, out comes the question, Hey, Max, do you think I'm a screw up? There's the door of opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then, then there was Patrick. Patrick, um, forget about the fact that he was in a same-sex relationship, but Patrick was, uh, Patrick is um, uh, green card. What do you call those uh, people with green cards? Aliens, yeah. He was an immigrant, immigrant, alien. I can't remember the right. So he's got, but he's got a green card, okay? So, and he wanted to open a business, and uh, he got this statue that they use in South America and brought it into the house so that they could pray to the statue, because if you pray to the statue, it brings good luck. A friend of his had done this, and so he did it, and he brought it into the house. This is just one of the guys I know, okay? And so I'm having this conversation with Patrick on the phone, and then comes the question, right? Door of opportunity. Hey, um, hey Max, you th do you think God would be like, you think he's hacked off that I brought in this, you know, other God into the house? <laughs> <laughs> Door of opportunity. Uh, I've got another friend. He, uh, this guy is uh, one of these 20-somethings, and it's the girlfriend of the week. He's had like a 1,000 girlfriends. I mean, he outpaced me early in life, because like, I think in life I only had two, and Jenny was one of them. But, you know, a 1,000, girlfriend of the week, one girl after another, boom, 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 boom. Um, he does have an issue with porn, and I've noticed the last few girlfriends that um, he hasn't been treating them the way you should really treat a woman. Like if my girls, when they grow up, if they ever get in a relationship with that boy, you know, the shotgun's coming out, okay? I'm just saying, shot, you know, Jill, the shotgun. I, you know, I will buy one. I know I don't own one, but I will buy one just for that, okay? So, but, but he, I'm not kidding. Out comes the question. Out comes the question. He says to me, I wrote it down so I don't, hey, Max, I'm, I'm so tired of being alone. I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. 
door of opportunity. Okay? What do you do in that moment? In that door of opportunity moment? I mean, do you, do you jump down their throat and explain things to them? Uh, do you shrink away and, oh, gee, I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> you know, how do you handle that? If, you've, if you develop real friendships with people, real people, at some point, they're going to tr- trust is going to form. They may even be curious about Jesus, and they're going to get to this point. There's going to be an issue. There's going to be something that if they trust Jesus as their Savior and King, they're going to have to change something in their life. And there's a part of them that's open to it, and there's a part of them that's scared to death to make a change. And what do you do when you hit one of those whammo, door of opportunity moments? Today, today I want to encourage you to practice what I call gentle uh, honesty. Gentle honesty. Um, the, the phrase I like to use uh, for this is, poke the bear, but don't run. So poke, poke the bear, poke the bear. There's risk in poking the bear, right? Poke the bear, but don't run, Okay. Jesus was a master of poking the bear and not running. He did this all the time. Um, And we see this no more clearly than in an account that happened in John chapter 4. So if you brought along a Bible, open it to John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. The fourth fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 4. This is a famous story, and it's a long story. Um, so you're going to get lots of little tidbits today. Woo, booyah. Okay, the Baptists are happy. Here we go. John 4, verses 1 through 3, I think. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. What the text doesn't tell you is that John the Baptist had been arrested. So Jesus is doing his, his thing, you know, healing the lame, proclaiming the good news, you know, that kind of stuff. He's got followers. He's connected to John the Baptist. They know, everybody knows, John the Baptist and Jesus are kind of, it's the same thing. There's a connection. They know that. John is arrested. Jesus, being a wise man, goes, oh, I need to move north, away from here. <laughs> they arrest John the Baptist. They may come for me. And so he, he makes, as they say in the south, right quick for Galilee, from Judea. Now, pious Jews and rabbis would not go directly through Samaria. They would take the Jewish shortcut by going way out of their way to the east, to Jericho, and then easing their way back up to Galilee so that they wouldn't pass through Samaria at all. But Jesus is in a hurry. He's a little concerned he might get arrested. So, boing, right through Samaria. And that's verse 4 and following. Here we go. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Well, not really, but he needed to go fast, so he's going that way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. There are so many things wrong going on right there. You're like, really? It doesn't seem like that to me. I know, but, you know, first of all, there's this town, uh, what is it, Sicker, which is is probably Shechem because it's got Jacob's well. And in the Middle East, 
uh, wells do not move over time. An ancient well is where it was a thousand years earlier. They just don't move because the water doesn't move, all right? So I'm just saying, all right? So he, he, so, uh, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Samaritan village is sicker. The, okay, so there's a well. Some of you should put this on your fridge, this little part right here. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. Have you ever been bushwhacked? Have you ever been spent? Have you ever been so tired you could sleep for a week? Booyah. There's your verse. Jesus knows, all right? John does this great job of mapping out for us. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was, you know, I mean, all this stuff to show you that Jesus is God. But you get these snippets like this here, and Jesus is fully human. He knows what it is to be spent. He's spent. He's hustling through Samaria to get out of Dodge, and he's spent. He's tired. And he's alone by this well. Now, a couple of things about women and wells, and I drew this out a couple of weeks ago when we, when we fleshed this passage out for something else. Uh, but women got water. It was your job as a woman to get water. But here's the good news. It wasn't so much a chore because everybody did it together with all the kids and dogs and everything. And so there was lots of help, but it was your chance to catch up and socialize with your friends. And you would do this early in the morning or right before sunset. Jesus is here at noon and uh, it's not a time of day when women typically do this. All right, so let's keep going on. Uh, verse 9 and following. So Jesus asked this woman who's at the well at noon to avoid other women for a drink. Nine, verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? I love this. This is the whole question thing. So Jesus gives a straight-up answer, right? No, he doesn't. It's exactly right. Jesus replied, verse 10, If only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. Huh? What? Okay? So there's questions back and forth. This Jewish man should not be asking this woman anything, but he is. He's tired and he's thirsty. And... And he's making a pretty big case to her. If you knew the gift that God has for you, and who's speaking to you? In other words, there's a gift and someone important giving the gift, offering you a gift right here, right now. Do you recognize it? Let's go on through the passage. Um, but sir, verse 11, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Okay? Question to you smart, wise people. Is Jesus really talking about water at this point? Is Jesus talking about water at this point? No. He's talking about a gift of God. He's talking about life. Now, she doesn't get it because she's like, well, you know, she's rope, bucket, water, well, ding, not registering, okay? She's, she's not getting it, okay? So let's pick it up, verses 13 and following. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Surely this will ring the bell, right? But look at the next verse. Please, sir, give me this water. Oh, she's asking for it. 
She gets it. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come get water. No, still not, still not clear. Still not clear that Jesus isn't talking about water. And then he pokes the bear. This is the poke the bear moment. Verse 16. Let's put verse 16 up. Oh, here it is. Go, go back, go back, go back. Sorry. Go and get your husband. So if you go to the previous one. Go and get your husband. That's the poke the bear moment. I need it. There you go. <laughs> poke the bear. Why is this woman getting water at noon? She is active and has lots of boyfriends and husbands. And she's with someone right now and they're not married. Oh. Egads, right? Go and get your husband. He pokes the bear. She gives a half-truthful response. Well, I don't have a husband. Uh, you're right. And then comes the zinger. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. The one place she doesn't want anybody to go, he, like, goes there. The one issue she doesn't want brought up, the reason she's there at noon, and he goes there to that place and that issue. Notice what she does. Sir, the woman said, verse 19, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gezerim where our ancestors worship? This in professional circles is called changing the subject. Trust me, when you have a friend, like my friend Derek, Hey, Max, do you think I'm a screw-up? Door of opportunity opens. In that moment, I was smart enough, and I said to Derek, Derek, I don't think you're a screw-up, but I think the way you're drinking right now, you run the risk of literally drinking your wife away and drinking your son away. I, I don't think it's wise to, con to just consume the volume of alcohol. I mean, you're not coming into work. I mean, it's affecting you. It's affecting everything in your life. Do you see that? poking the bear. <laughs> he opened the door, but I poked. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He pokes the bear, all right? Um, and she changes the subject, which you would totally expect. And so they go this back and forth on worship, which we fleshed out a couple of weeks ago. But we'll, we'll read through the verses here. You must be a prophet, verse 19. Okay, verse 21 and following. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know uh, all about him, for salvation comes through Jesus, uh, the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, she's, she's changed the subject. And rather than get into a long track with her, he says, yeah, 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 there's this difference. And you don't understand it, we do, but the point is, none of that's going to matter someday. Huh? Yeah, none of it's going to matter someday. And then the conversation comes on. The woman said, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, very observant people will realize what she's saying in this statement. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Who is she saying this to? 
oh, yes, in her mind it has not clicked yet. In other words, what she's saying is, yeah, 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 I know the guy's coming, you're not him. You're not it. Well, let's go on. Verse, let's, let's keep going on with the, the verses. Verse 26, I am the Messiah. And he did, just doesn't say it in the Greek, it's ego eimi, which is this I am that harkens back to Mount Sinai when God says, you know, Moses says, what's your name? What do I tell people? I am. Huh? What? No, yeah, I am. That's my name. Go, ro- run with it. Okay? And so when, when, in John's gospel, when you have these statements, Jesus is kind of giving an indicator. Yeah, God, me, God, me and God, same. I am. Okay? So I am the Messiah, he says to her. Um, and look at how this kicks out. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked <gasps> to find him talking to a woman, let alone the woman at the well. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Love it. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, get this, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Something in her clicks. The very thing she's come to the well to get, water, she abandons. She goes into town. Hey, hey, hey. There's this guy at the well. I'm t- I mean, holy cow. I mean, he nailed it. He nailed my life. You got to see. You got to come see this guy at the well. Come on. He, he might be it. Now, here's the thing that I found. When somebody gets all excited about God, and basically it's somebody who's been a scoundrel, and all of a sudden they're excited about God, people take notice, don't they? I mean, you expect the God squad, the religious people, the Pharisees to kind of be excited. And when they are excited, you probably look at it and go, yeah, you're faking it, <laughs> right? But when, when a scoundrel is all of a sudden excited, when somebody who's not crossing all their T's or dotting all their I's the right way, and they're like, hey, 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 people, people stand up and take notice. And so people in the village stream out for this Jesus. The rest of the account of this is recorded in verse uh, 39 and following. We're not going to show it, but I want to read it to you. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. So she encounters Jesus. He pokes the bear. It reveals the issue. She has a, a moment of decision there. She can literally, like the man we read about last week, the rich man, when, Jesus, when he asked Jesus, okay, 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 well, so what do I need to do to make it all right with God? And Jesus says, okay, we'll sell everything. In that moment, that man walks away sad. He literally walks away from Jesus. This woman stays and continues to engage him. And at a moment of decision, goes and gets people she cares about, probably some people she could care less for, and brings them to Jesus also. And that's what happens when someone is awakened as a new disciple, right? Um, when, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So Jesus stayed for two days in a place he shouldn't have even been in the first place, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then he said to the woman, now, uh, uh, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because of uh, we have heard him ourselves. Now we know indeed he is the savior of the world. And you have, you have this play out in this passage, the words that refer to Jesus by the woman at the well and others. It starts off with things like Jesus, Jew, sir, 
Then it goes to prophet, Messiah, I am, rabbi, ends up with savior of the world. There's a progression that plays out. So let me, let me ask some questions as, in light of this passage, in light of the woman at the well. And the first question is, when you have friends and the door of opportunity springs open, are you afraid to speak up? Is there a part of you that is afraid to highlight an issue or point out a flaw for fear that you're going to ruin the friendship? Do you just swallow it and say nothing and then go home to your spouse and you are not going to believe it, like they totally don't see the fact that, you know. Does that play out? Why? Why do you back away from the truth? And then secondarily, are you quick to point out your friend's flaws? I mean, if you're honest, would some people say that's like your spiritual gift? <laughs> Maybe there needs to be a little bit of restraint in that case, of a little bit more swallowing, okay? So let, let me flesh out what this looks like in a practical way, okay? So if, we're saying, if I'm saying to you, I want you to poke the bear and not run, here's what I mean by that, all right? One is speak honestly. Speak honestly. And, and here's some statements that I use, okay? When somebody creaks the door open or I'm, there's a God thing that's going on, I'll say something to the effect of, I don't think this is a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're having to face this issue right now. I think God is pursuing you. And I think the churning in your heart is your soul and God's spirit trying to get you in the direction that moves toward him instead of away from him. And it's funny, you say something like that, and they'll immediately, one way or the other, oh no, or yeah, yeah, it's probably true. All right? Or I think God's trying to tell you something. I mean, you'll have friends, they'll share a dream, right? This, this happens. They have some kind of funky dream or whatnot, and they're really troubled by it. God still works that way, believe it or not. You know, and that's an opportunity for you to go, I don't think God's messing with you with that. I think, I think God's trying to get your attention. God's pursuing you. Do you get that? Do you see that? He's pursuing you, right? So be honest. Speak honestly about what they've shared. And then speak honestly about your own life. This is, these are, there are opportunities for you to go and admit, yeah, I'm a mixed bag myself. You know, um, yes, you know, uh, there are a lot of times when I'm stressed out and I go for the ice cream instead of Jesus. And I'm better than I used to be. I'm better than I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be. And I'm a mixed bag. It's okay to admit that, all right? So one, speak honestly. Two, pray. Oh, that comes up again. Yep, pray. There's, there is a spiritual thing that's playing out when you've got a friend that's on the fence. That woman at the well, there's a spiritual thing playing out right there at the well. Prayer is important because there's a spiritual battle for their heart and their soul, right? Um, the temptation that you and I face is to grow weary because one day it seems like they want to move toward God and the next day it seems like they want to move the opposite direction and you can get frustrated. You're like, just make up your mind. Quit yanking my chain. Wait a minute. Woo, let's all breathe. Isn't it true that you and I are just the same way? Come on, aren't we inconsistent? Isn't it the pot calling the kettle black? So <gasps> breathe and understand that it's normal for them to want to walk toward God one day and walk away from him the next. All right? <clears throat> so speak honestly, pray, and lastly, come alongside them. So some ways to come alongside them. When I've got uh, Derek, 
um, door of opportunity. Am I a screw-up? One of the things at that point in his life I did was to say to him, hey, why don't you, I think, you know, God's trying to get your attention here. Let's, let's together ask God for a sign. I know it sounds very non-Baptist-y, but God does that still. I'm telling you, people will fleece God. People, all kinds of Americans will do things like, um, okay, God, well, if you're really real, then da-da-da-da, and then da-da-da-da will happen. And they'll be like, oh. You know, God does this all the time, okay? So uh, come alongside them. And one of the ways you can do that is to, is to pray for a sign with them, that God will reveal himself to them. Um, you know, and that's, that's what you do. You know, you grab them, and you're like, okay, God... In the next five days, reveal yourself to Derek. Show him that you're real. God does that, and he'll show up. Derek will come back and report, you're not going to believe what happened. No, it's not a coincidence. It's God. I told you he's pursuing you. Another way to come alongside your friends is to agree to pray with them for five minutes a day for a week. Let me pray with you five minutes a day. You can do it by phone, but you're praying for God's spirit. You're praying for them to have spiritual eyes to see things as they are. And then the last thing you can do is you can invite them to come along with you to something. Hey, come with me to the food pantry, or come, come to my small group, or come to church, or whatever it is. You know, you just invite them to come along with you to something. Um, and again, those are practical things that you and I can do when it comes to poking the bear and not running, right? Because you don't want to poke the bear and then, oh, flee, run away, okay? So we've been talking about evangelism, right? Let's say they get to the point where they trust you. They're curious about Jesus, and then they realize, oh, I'm going to have to deal with this thing. Practice gentle honesty. Practice gentle honesty. And, and it comes real simple, you know, uh, my friend, uh, uh, the, the one that's the girlfriend of the week club, um, I'm tired of being alone. I think I'm doing something wrong. I so did not want to walk through that door. <laughs> I did not want to walk through that door at all. I did not want to walk through that door. Ugh. But I did. I swallowed and, well, have you ever thought that there might be a connection between all the stuff you're bringing into your soul through your eyes on that computer and what's coming out when you're with these girls? Oh. Yeah. Boom. There it is. Okay? Don't be afraid to poke the bear. I know in the past, Christians got a bum rap because we had the bullhorns and the placards and we were condemning sin left and right. If anything, the pendulum swing has gone the other way and we're kind of a little bit mealy-mouthed about things. I want to empower you to practice gentle honesty because we need it every but as much as they need it. And here's the reality. Some people, when they get to that point and they've been poked, they will stay with Jesus and they'll jump the fence and they will make him their savior and king. And some people will look at it and size it up and go, yeah, I can't or don't want to change in that way. You're not going to fare any better than your master did. And not everyone who approached Jesus signed on the dotted line. 